SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. It's another edition of Fantasy Sports Today with you here on SportsGrid as we dive into the Monday night football games. Two games played, two games in the books, and the entire week one of the NFL season is complete. I'm Craig Mish along with Joe Pizzapia. We got you for the next two hours talking fantasy, reality, a little sports wagering as well. NBA back on the court today. We've got the tip drill. We've got Adam Ronis breaking down games against the spread. And, of course, Major League Baseball is headed toward the 2020 postseason. Joe, we got a lot to cover here on the Tuesday edition of the show. And week one of the NFL season is complete. Yes, and hopefully all of our analysis will be more accurate than anything that Steven Goskowski will kick today. I can't assure you of that, of being 100%. I think that may be 50-50 on that one. But uh, certainly that's where we'll start. Monday night football games in the books, no doubt about it. Uh, look, uh, two games that I honestly did not pay a lot of attention to last night. I was kind of in and out after the Marlins uh, picked up another victory. They're headed to the postseason. And so a lot of my focus on that this week for sure. It's really exciting to see that happen for the first time, maybe in, in 17 years that they're headed toward that. But uh, let's take a look at the headlines from uh, last night. And, of course, the uh, – the I, I mean, look, the, the bottom line is that both games were – Great to have on Monday night, but neither game in particular were barn burners. I guess that's the best way to put it. Juju Smith-Schuster was probably the top performer of all of the players that were involved in the games last night as he had two touchdowns. It was really good to see him back and delivering on the promise that we thought they would have two years ago. Maybe it's just as simple as Big Ben being in there. It could certainly be. Uh, Duds, well... Uh, Titans-Broncos was not the—I uh, I guess the end was exciting, but it was not the exciting game I, I think that anybody could have imagined. That game went way under the total. It was certainly never in jeopardy. And I, I think, Joe, when you look at that game in particular, as you mentioned, it's, it certainly was about uh, a lot of the kicking issues. But uh, one of my co-hosts here on Fantasy Sports Today told me the Denver Broncos were going to have this high-flying, much better offense in 2020. And I got to tell you— uh, that did not look like the case, at least in game one. Although I would say Denver at home in the month of September is the gift that keeps on giving. I don't know why it is the case. And certainly I think it was more lucky than good. Uh, Goskowski, all he's got to do is kick one field goal or two, and then it's not even an issue really. But uh, look, the bottom line is, is that uh, I was not impressed at all with Denver watching them yesterday. Tennessee should have won that game by three touchdowns. No, they absolutely should have won by more. Uh, the Tennessee defense is a lot better than people realize, too. Clowney had a couple good moments in that game, and uh, Jayon Brown uh, being healthy is is a big win, too. Um, but going back to the Pittsburgh game for a moment, if I may, uh, I enjoyed this game. I did actually watch this one start to finish. The power of DVR. I got to kind of fast forward through all the commercials and watch it. And I got to say, it was great to see Juju being Juju again. Uh, this was a guy that we talked about at length on this program as one of the best values on the board at wide receiver, a guy who's being drafted basically as a 1A, maybe even a 2 in some leagues, who could be a number 1 again. It was just a year ago that everybody thought he was a true number 1. And look, first out of the gate, very good. Uh, we're going to break down this game more, too, as we go on. But it was good to see Ben Roethlisberger back. Great to see that Pittsburgh defense looking good. And I give the Giants a lot of credit for hanging with the Steelers as long as they did. In the fourth quarter, this was a 19-10 game. So they were kind of hanging with them a little bit. And I think the Steelers are a significantly better personnel team than the New York Giants are. 
And I think the Giants, as the season goes on, are going to continue to find their identity. I think Daniel Jones made some plays there at some times. You saw Slayton, that connection, very good, just like it was last year, where he's that guy he looks for in the end zone. And I don't understand why more people didn't see that last year and carried over in a 2020. Saquon Barkley certainly had some moments that were very highlight real worthy. But overall, I think it was a, a fun night of football. And uh, yeah, I think that second game kind of fell a little short in terms of expectations. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and Goskowski, let me tell you something. As a Patriots fan, I can tell you the last two years were rough in our kicking game. They were rough. This is before he got hurt last year. He missed a ton of extra points. He missed a ton of field goals. What once was the lock number one kicker on the fantasy board has been anything but in the last three years. And if you didn't realize that, then you weren't paying attention. Yeah, and, and I think Tennessee is probably going to have to consider some other options because they don't have the best offense in football either. And a lot of what they do is on the ground and playing possession, and, and that showed its way yesterday. Uh, again, uh, Denver had no business covering that game, but their record just continues to be the best in the NFL uh, in the month of September. It's not particularly close. It's just plug and play Broncos at home for whatever reason. They end up covering. Um, okay, let's take a look real quick at some of the other highlights that we have on today's show. We got the Padres winning their eighth straight game, and they are really pushing the Dodgers for the division. Of course, they'll play again today. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but they have been one of the nice stories in baseball this year. We'll see if that momentum can continue into the postseason. And certainly they've already hit their season win total, and they're looking like one of the best teams in the National League. And then overall, in terms of against the spread, how did it look? Over the last couple of days, well, NFL favorites going 9-6-1 and one against the spread in week one. And so certainly that is going to turn very quickly. And, uh, and you know, in, in terms of underdogs, some big underdogs definitely ended up hitting. One of the two ended up hitting yesterday. Could have been two. Giants had a shot for a long period mm -hmm. of that game, uh, game of covering. And now, Joe, I, I think that we're going to turn – uh, toward the other way. Some normalcy, I think. Jacksonville will show who they are a little bit. Carolina probably yes. won't play as well as they have. Washington, I would say, would, would go the other way as well. But the upsets are a lot of fun. We got six of them this past weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And going back real quick, talking about those Padres too, Zach Davies on the mound today, Lamette last night upsetting Kershaw. So it is great to see the Padres challenging. They've been hyper competitive against the Dodgers all year, and that trend has continued, and it's fun, and it's good for Major League Baseball. All right, coming up next, we'll do our fantasy standouts from the two Monday night games in the NFL and also have the fantasy standouts in Major League Baseball as we close in on the end of the 2020 fantasy season. Stick with SportsGrid. This is Fantasy Sports Today. We'll be right back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back, Fantasy Sports. Today with you here on Sports Grid, I am Craig Mish, along with Joe Pizzapia, every day from noon to 2 Eastern, covering everything in fantasy, wagering, reality, a little pop culture as well. Of course, we'll get to that a little bit later in the show when we do fantasy or reality. But of course, we had two Monday night football games last night, and we did have some top performers and really a couple interesting storylines, I think, to get to that we may be looking at moving forward as we head toward waiver day on Fantasy Football Wednesday, which we will cover on tomorrow's show. So let's take a look at last night's top performers on both the Pittsburgh Steelers as well as the New York Giants, and then moving over to uh, Tennessee and Denver. Not as much fanfare, I think, Joe, for uh, for those two teams, that's for sure. But uh, certainly we saw our fair share of what's going on in Pittsburgh, and I think potentially 
maybe even a running back change coming for them. Yeah, uh, James Conner went down early in this game, and it just seems like we're in that same cycle again. Now they're optimistic about Conner's ability to potentially play in Week 2. We shall see if that comes to fruition or not. But once again, Benny Snell was one of those guys, Craig, that was a late-round pick. He was a free square. You could draft him and wait and see in this first month of the season if Conner could stay healthy. And if you did that, just like if you watched us here on the channel here and on this show in particular, we did all those drafts. How many drafts at Benny Snell, Benny Snell, Benny Snell at the end? Why? Because of this variable. And I can't believe we're to hear week one, but I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Yeah, and, and Benny was such a, a really good player at Kentucky. And when he was drafted, I just thought, my gosh, like, I, I just don't get it. If you can tear up Alabama and Florida on the ground in the mm -hmm. SEC, can't you do that in the NFL? And and look, for whatever reason, he had nice little glimpses uh, in his first year with Pittsburgh. But certainly right now, uh, I don't even, I don't know so much about this year in terms of a season-long league because I still think Connor is going to be a little bit of a thorn. Uh, but uh, in a dynasty league, owning Benny Snell, I think there's a real chance that moving forward for the next two or three years, and again, that's the shelf life of a running back anyway in the NFL, but for the next two or three years, I think there's a chance Snell is a 25-30 carry guy. He looks like that kind of guy. doesn't really catch passes, though, so... Uh, there'll always be room for someone else in the Pittsburgh offense. All right, let's uh, let's take a look at last night's uh, standouts in fantasy, and we'll start off with Ben Roethlisberger, who threw for 229 yards and three touchdowns. Very solid game for him if he ended up starting him in his first game back in almost a year. Uh, Snell had 19 carries for 113. He looked great once he came in for uh, James Conner, who uh, basically did uh, nothing, more or less. He uh, had a few catches and some yards, but nothing on the ground until he got hurt. Uh, Schuster had six receptions for 69 yards and two touchdowns in that one, and Deontay Johnson uh, also had six receptions for 57 yards, Joe. And so, uh, you know, kind of I would say Roethlisberger looked good in his first time out. He mixed the ball around quite a bit. Doesn't really have that premier tight end. We're sort of waiting, I guess, for... Uh, Ebron to come alive a little bit in that offense, but overall a job well done for them. Yeah, absolutely. It was great to see Juju back in the slot being Juju again, just like he was two years ago. So it looked like they hadn't missed a beat. Uh, it was good to see James Washington get a touchdown. That was fun. And a lot of people were kind of annoyed at Deontay Johnson. And I don't know why the guy put up a dozen PPR points last night. And yeah, he got off to a rough start there with that muff kick in the beginning of the game. But then the second half, the guy came alive. He also had a 32% target share in that game. Um, hello, you signed me up for that in the Pittsburgh Steelers offense any day of the week, and I am all in, baby. Let's do it. So I think a much better game for Deontay Johnson out of the gate than people realize. Good matchup next week, too, at home. So uh, I think this is just the beginning for him. And uh, obviously, Benny Snell looked very good in this game. He actually looked a little lighter than last year, too. He looked a little bit, I don't know, a little bit more fit and ready to go. He's in better shape this year. And certainly, he looked very sharp in the, the rushing attempts that he did have uh, there in the second half of this game, for sure. And uh, Pittsburgh, look, it's all about that defense, right? Dupree was a menace last night. Watt dropped back into coverage, had a huge interception there on Daniel Jones. And uh, look, you know, it's just this is what Pittsburgh's going to be. They're going to play defense, and they're going to be able to score points, and uh, that's going to make them, I think, a, a legitimate tender in this division. I don't want to write them off as though they can't beat the Ravens because I think they can hang with them, especially defensively. All right, let's take a look at what the Giants did in terms of their fantasy standouts last night. And certainly they had a few players, I would say, that ended up having good nights. Daniel Jones, probably not one of them. 279, two touchdowns, those two picks. If you lose points for interceptions in your fantasy league, you're hurting. Uh, look, Barkley went against a very tough defense. There's simply no excuse, though, to have five carries for six yards in an NFL game. It doesn't matter who you are. 
And I understand that he gave you 12 fantasy points with six receptions and 60 yards, but that has got to pick up for him. Slayton, six receptions, more than 60 yards and two touchdowns. And then Sterling Shepard had basically a 10-point day in fantasy, six catches, 47 yards. Joe, it'll get easier for the Giants for sure. I know that Pittsburgh's a really good football team, but uh, look, look, uh, Barkley's supposed to be a top running back in the NFL and supposed to be a top fantasy running back in the NFL. And it just shows you to me that's where the difference is between Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley. McCaffrey does not have those games. Barkley does. It's pretty much it. Yeah, McCaffrey had one of those games last year against Tampa, who was the second-ranked uh, defense against the run last year. They actually, for some reason, had his number. I think it was week one or week two, if memory serves. It was pretty early in the year as well. So uh, I think what you saw last night, too, was Barkley getting hit in the backfield quite a bit, too. So they were just on them. That, that pass rush, guys like Dupree, guys like Watt, it wasn't even that Barkley had a chance in some of those. You would see him getting hit in the backfield all the time. And look, it was two or three guys back there. You're not going to get off to a very good start for Saquon Barkley. Things look up, I think, a little bit next week for him, um, obviously, against the, the Bears. But I would say this. I think it was smart. They made that pivot. Joe Judge and company made that pivot last night. You saw that, hey, things aren't working here. He's getting his butt handed to him in the backfield. Let's start to throw the ball a little bit more to Barkley, get him out in space. And when they did, good things happened there with those catches. So you saw that incredible acrobatic play. He actually did it twice last night where he jumped over a defender of the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I, I would definitely say that better things are ahead. This was a tough matchup and uh, good for Slayton as well. Once again, that's another guy to keep in mind. He could even be on your waiver wire potentially. Last year, he had a ton of touchdown equity. He had a ton of rapport with Daniel Jones in those big spots. So far, it looks like a lot of the same thing, and I think he could be a wide receiver three or a flex start absolutely going forward the rest of the year, depending on the depth of your league. All right, let's take a look at what happened in Major League Baseball last night, and let's look at the fantasy standouts in a what a little bit of a light schedule, I would say. Every team is back on the field today, and of course, some doubleheaders as well. But when you look at it, it starts and ends with Kyle Lewis of the Seattle Mariners, who hit his 10th home run. And certainly he's up against it with Lewis Robert in the American League to win Rookie of the Year. But Lewis, who you won't see in the fantasy stat, went over the fence to catch a ball, hit off the bat of Ramon Laureano to save a grand slam. Probably one of the best catches of the entire year. Ryan Mountcastle has come up, and since he has, he's looked the part. Probably going to be interest in him next year. Three hits. He had his fifth home run. He drove in three runs. Mike Miner hadn't had a win all season long. And I know it's only been a month and a half, but... Wow, he really needed that one yesterday, and he got it for Oakland. Of course, Oakland's headed to the postseason. He'll probably pitch either game two or game three for them. I think there's a chance of that. I mean, he's he's probably has to. Uh, seven innings pitched, no one runs, three uh, strikeouts. He also picked up the win, as I said, his first. And Nelson Lamette's got a real shot to probably pitch game one or game two for San Diego in their first series. Seven more innings of him. 11 strikeouts for Denelson Lamette. He ended up having a great game for the Padres. And then our final fantasy standout is Marcus Simeon of the Oakland A's, who had two hits. He had a seventh home run and also drove in four runs yesterday, Joe. So certainly uh, no shortage of pitching performances. And, and look, Oakland really needs that from Minor mm -hmm. because they haven't gotten quite the pitching that they thought. It's been good enough, but not going to be good enough when they have to go against Tampa Bay and New York, and Chicago, and some of these really good hitting teams, Minnesota as well. And they're going to need more contributions from Marcus Simeon, too, because over the weekend we know that uh, Matt Chapman's going to be out for the rest of the year. So that is a huge blow to this team. So they're going to need guys like Miner to step up. They're going to need Lozardo to step up. There's a lot that has to happen here now for the A's to go forward because – for me, Chapman was that team. He is that focal point guy. Olsen's a very nice power bat. Simeon had a great year last year, but 
Chapman was that one guy that I feel like is going to hurt them the most losing. And look, let's heap all the praise we possibly can on Denelson Lamette because the strikeout rate has been terrific. Going out there, you know, throwing 11 strikeouts there against the Dodgers, that is not easy. Going and beating Clayton Kershaw, that is not easy. And all of a sudden with Clevenger, with Lamette, with Paddock, this is not just a team built for the regular season. This is a team that could be quite formidable in a short series with those kind of pitchers because they're all capable any given night of going out there and throwing a jam. Yep, and they have great defense, great offense. The Padres are built to win and win right now, as they should. They made a lot of trades that would have indicated that uh, a couple of weeks ago. All right, uh, coming up next, we got the update with Chris. Tip drill, and then we're back. More sports grid, more fantasy sports today. Next. Watching Sports Grid. Get on the grid. Monday Night Football returned last night in the first game of the doubleheader. The Steelers beat the Giants 26-16. Big Ben made his return after missing most of last season with an elbow injury thrown for 229 yards and three touchdowns. Two of them to Juju Smith-Schuster who had six receptions for 69 yards. Saquon Barkley and the Giants offensive line struggle as the Steelers held Barkley to 15 carries for six yards, but Barkley did pick up 60 yards receiving. On six receptions, Daniel Jones had a decent game thrown for 279 yards, two touchdowns, and two picks, but the Steelers did get some bad injury news after the game as James Conner didn't play any snaps in the second half. They're leaving the game with what the team and sources are calling a sprained angle. Adam Schefter reported that according to sources, the team is, quote, optimistic for a timely return for Connor. Benny Snell stepped up in Connor's absence, taking 19 carries for 113 yards. In the nightcap, the Titans beat the Broncos 16-14 despite the former Patriots kicker Steven Goskowski missing three field goals and an extra point for the Titans, but he was able to make a 25-yard field goal with 17 seconds to give the Titans a lead. Derrick Henry was short-fed last night as he had 31 carries for 116 yards. Corey Davis was the Titans wide receiver group with seven receptions for 101 yards. Melvin Gordon had a solid debut with the Broncos with 15 carries for 78 yards and a touchdown. He also had a fumble. Gordon played most of the snaps in the second half after Philip Lindsay left the game with turf toe according to head coach Vic Bangio. Noah Font had a nice game for the Broncos in the loss, reeling in five receptions for 81 yards and a touchdown. Some other NFL injuries, a Jets running back Le'Veon Bell expected to miss multiple weeks according to head coach Adam Gates with a hamstring injury. Saints all-pro wide receiver Michael Thomas was diagnosed with a high ankle sprain according to Tom Palacero. Thomas says he could play through injury and has not been ruled out for Monday's matchup against the Raiders. The and the Browns plays tight end David Njoku on the IR with an MCL sprain. To the NHL the bubble where the Stars are advancing to the Stanley Cup Finals following their 3-2 uh, win over the Golden Knights in overtime! Okay. The Stars won the well, series four games to one and now await the winner of the Islanders-Lightning series where, which the Lightning uh, could put away with a win tonight. That game starts at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Tampa Bay currently leads the series three games to one. And in non-NHL bubble news, the Capitals named Peter Lavalette as their new head coach. Lavalette most recently coached the Predators and was fired back in January. And we got another game seven from the NBA bubbles and Nuggets and Clippers will duel it out tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern time to see who will advance to face Lakers in the Western <laughs> Conference Finals. We also got game one of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Heat and the Celtics. That game tips off at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time. To the MLB where the holidays came early for Mets fans as the team made it official yesterday that the Wilpons and South Cats have come to an agreement to sell the team to billionaire hedge fund manager and lifelong Mets fan Steve Cohen. Cohen still needs to be approved by 23 of the 30 owners, but according to several reports, Cohen should get the votes. Once Cohen gets the approval from the owners, he will own 95% of the team, and the purchase is set to be around $2.5 billion. Recapping some action from the Diamond yesterday, the Marlins beat the Phillies 62. The O's were all over the Braves 14-1, and the White Sox beat the Twins 3-1. The Sox magic number to Clemson Central is now four games. I am Chris Kyle with your Sports Grid News Update. 
SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back. Fantasy Sports today here on SportsGrid. Thanks again to Greg and Jeremy for the tip drill. We will go against the spread on the two NBA games coming up a little bit. Adam Ronis is going to join us here on the show. We'll talk about that game at 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific between the Miami Heat and Boston Celtics. And then, of course, it is Game 7 tonight of Denver and the Los Angeles Clippers with L.A. as a seven-point favorite. We'll have those picks against the spread coming up for you in a little bit less than an hour from now. Uh, But first, before we go ahead, let's move back a little bit and discuss the Titans and Broncos from Monday Night Football a game that ended, I believe, around 1 o'clock in the morning on the East Coast because I was just long gone at that point when uh, when it went <laughs> down. So I woke up this morning and saw what happened. And, uh, you know, not all that surprising, honestly. Look, ten- surprising in terms of Tennessee not being able to capitalize on field goals because that's something they're going to have to fix and fix quickly because this is not a team that's great in the red zone. Played great in the red zone in the playoffs last year. That's what got them all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. But their regular season was sort of marred with this also, just not being able to run off that big play. And, Joe, I I think that, look, Tennessee is probably a playoff team. They're probably a very good playoff team, I would say. And clearly the score did not really indicate what it could have been on a number of different levels. Tennessee could have kicked a bunch of field goals. And by the way, the head coach of the Broncos could have done a much better job figuring out what in the world was going on at the end of the game, not even using timeouts. Just a very bizarre ending to the game as well. But I got to tell you, I think that for me it's more an indictment on Denver than it is uh, me looking at Tennessee thinking they're a good football team because the Broncos, to me, in terms of what I saw and what I saw this morning and the numbers that I look at even after the fact show me the exact same team that I saw last year. So what is the difference? Well, I think my evaluation is going to be that week one, it's very difficult for a team that hasn't played any preseason games whatsoever to travel into Denver. I think that's always a difficult thing to do. It's a difficult place to play because of the air quality there, obviously, and the the altitude. And to do it when you don't have a whole lot of football stamina built in you already, I think that's why they had trouble finishing where they were and why they had to settle for a lot of field goal attempts instead of touchdowns. Uh, I do like Jonu Smith's use in the red zone, though. That was very good. Two thumbs up there for Jonu week one. But you're right. This was kind of a lackluster game, uh, kind of uh, a perfect way to end week one, where I think a lot of teams are kind of feeling things out. Denver definitely has some issues there. Cortland Sutton not being healthy was, you know, not good, obviously. Uh, You have Philip Lindsay coming away with a turf toe issue. He's having an MRI on that, so that's bad news for people who had Lindsay. It's like just as a a secondary player on their bench. It's good news for Melvin Gordon owners. He played pretty well, and he continues now to probably get the lion's share of the carries. But, no, Denver probably is not a playoff team this year, but I don't think anybody really thought they were anyhow. I still think Tennessee is, and I don't think this is a great gauge of what Tennessee is going to be. I also think from a momentum standpoint, when you when you have good drives and you don't finish them in field goals or you miss extra points on top of that, I think it's kind of a, I don't know, momentum killer. I think you kind of see the air go out of the balloon, which is tough in a place where the air is already mile high. I don't think that's exactly what you want to be doing week one. So Goskowski is going to be on notice. I'm telling you right now, this is not good because Tennessee is not the kind of offense going to blow people out of the water. So they need to make those kind of field goals. And this is something that could really hurt them as the year goes on. And they might be looking for another kicker sooner than later if he doesn't turn it around. Yeah, and I and I think that maybe you're misunderstanding me. I'm not worried about Tennessee at all. Again, oh, if they okay. just convert on any of those field goals uh, out of the four or five, whatever he missed, or maybe just make <laughs> one and then convert one touchdown, uh, I have no concerns with them. But 
Gotcha. Why is Denver any different than they were last year? That was the exact same thing that I saw from Denver all of last year. Get the ball, wait 30 seconds, hike, run, get the ball, wait 30 seconds, hike, run again. I mean, it's the, it was the same exact thing with with supposedly a new offensive coordinator. And yeah, they have Melvin Gordon now, and that's great. Look, Philip Lindsay's okay. He's not a superstar. I don't think that him missing half a game meant a lot. I don't think that Cortland Sutton being in that offense is all of a sudden going to take them into the 1986 John Elway Broncos. I think it's coaching. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't think this. I don't think Vic Fangio is a good coach. I, I don't. I don't. I, maybe they have upgraded around and they got Jerry Judy, but. What was different about watching them play last night as opposed to watching them play all of last year? I saw the exact same thing. You're not wrong. Uh, let's see what they do against uh, maybe some lesser opponents because I think Tennessee is a pretty good one. But you're not wrong. Uh, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm a little bit more optimistic that when Sutton is healthy on the field and they have a better opponent that they could put up some more points. But it was certainly not the way you want to get out of the gate if you had optimistic views about Denver. Yeah. Let's take a quick look, if we can, at Tennessee's standouts from last night. Ryan Tannehill, 249 yards and two touchdowns. Derrick Henry, 31 carries for 116 yards. Corey Davis went off for 7 and 101. As Joe mentioned, Jonu Smith gave you about 12 fantasy points. Four catches, 36 yards. A.J. Brown, a little bit of a disappointment. Five catches for 39 yards. On the Denver side of it, Locke had just 216 yards on his home field and one touchdown. Gordon, 15 carries, 78 yards and a touch. Five for 81. Jerry Judy, four for 56. And that's the way it shook out last night in Denver. Coming up next, little hot take Tuesday. Talk about some things happening in fantasy. Are they legit? Let's find out next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back. Fantasy Sports Today. It is Tuesday here with you on SportsGrid. Of course, coming up a little bit later, Scott Farrell going coast-to-coast and giving you the latest on the two NBA games coming up a little bit later between Boston and Miami. We'll cover that for you on in-game live as Cam and Gabe will have all the updates and all of the action for you. We are 24-7 here on SportsGrid and SportsGrid.com, so make sure you stay on the grid even after our show is over. But, Joe, it's a little bit of a hot take Tuesday, so we thought we'd run through some statements and find out after week one if it's a massive overreaction to some of the things that we saw or if they are simply some things that are going to play out over the course of the season. And this is the best time for the hot takes. It's the week one hot takes. Oh, so many things flying around. Uh, Twitter is a buzz, that's for sure, with all of the things that happened and the hyper-focus on week one. And I'll tell you where there were things to take away from week one that I think are absolutely worthy and might be trends going forward and things to either put your fab money on waiver wire or put your wagering money on and kind of look and see what teams are. But it is still just week one. And my goodness, the takes have been hot, Craig. Woo! All right, well, let's start it off. And uh, the Buccaneers struggled in week one. And and that's, I mean, goes without saying. They played very poorly in the second half of that game. But O.J. Howard emerged in that one as one of Tom Brady's favorite targets. Go figure that one. And on this Hot Take Tuesday, Joe, let's start off by asking the question. Uh, O.J. Howard is the tight end to own in Tampa Bay this year. Is that a hot take or no? Now, I just said there's a lot of hot takes flying around, but you know, I don't think this is so hot. 
I, I think this actually might be reality here. This might be truth because Rob Gronkowski, I don't know what you saw, Craig, but I saw the same guy I saw two years ago who looked done. I mean, he looked like he was a at least a step or two behind everything going on. Some people want to chalk that up to it's week one. The guy hasn't played. I want to chalk it up to this is the same guy I saw two years ago that looked like he was done then and probably should have called it a career. And I will say this. The other thing that factors into this is where Tom Brady is in his career. And Tom Brady can still throw the ball downfield, but not quite as well as he used to five years ago, six years ago. And he has always looked for that underneath pass, that guy over the middle. And if O.J. Howard is healthy enough to be that, we could finally, after a few years, get a productive fantasy season out of O.J. Howard with injuries to Blake Jarwin and a few other injuries out there. He's going to be a guy that I think is going to be picked up in some leagues. And I don't think this is a hot take. I think he is the guy. Do you think he is the tight end going forward of note in fantasy in Tampa? Yeah, I don't think it's a hot take, but I would not say that he is the tight end to own in Tampa Bay. I think it's reasonable. What I can't come to grips with is how he could go for 15-plus games last season without scoring a touchdown. And so I understand, and what you're saying is valid. Brady at this stage could be focusing some more on the tight ends. But I can't buy the fact that Howard, who was basically, I think, in his second or third year even last year, couldn't catch anything from Jameis Winston. Cameron Brait caught more passes at times than Winston did. I'm not buying that O.J. Howard is a guy or is a thing yet, but I don't think it's that hot because I'm not in on Gronkowski as well. I think it may be none of the tight ends in Tampa Bay are worth owning and starting in fantasy this year. So not a hot take, but I, I can't be sold off one game with O.J. Howard, a guy that has done nothing for two years. So uh, we'll start there. All right, let's move on to the Miami Dolphins, and let's move over to their quarterback position. Ryan Fitzpatrick struggled mightily in his first start. It's already been announced. He's going to start again this weekend. And Hot Take Tuesday, we got this one. Tua Tagovailoa will be the Dolphins starter by week four. Joe, is that a hot take? I think it is a hot take, and I am Mr. Tua. I keep saying he's going to play eight games this year, so I'm I'm planting my flag. We'll see if he plays eight games. I don't know about week four. I think that's still a little early in terms of what you want him to pick up the offense. I think Fitzpatrick probably has one or two better performances in him. We've seen that before. This was a tough assignment on the road against New England, a team that's seen a lot of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Although uh, the Dolphins were able to upset them last year, I think there was a lot of other problems going on there in New England at that time, and they were kind of spiraling out of control. Uh, that was a tough assignment week one. I'm going to throw that out the window. I think at some point – Maybe by the end of October, maybe as we get closer to Halloween, it could be trick-or-treat for Tua. But I'm going to say this is a hot take, Craig. How about you? You're more dialed into the Miami scene down there than I am. Yeah, there's a couple of factors here. The first factor is, number one, Tua had no preseason and didn't have a chance to play in any of those games. The second part of this is, is that Miami has now taken on the mantra like New England, which is basically no information leaves that building. It's very hard to get insight into that building. And in particular with this player, it's been even harder. Of course, you had a report last week, Joe, that said that Tua was still not 100% healthy. Uh, then there were other reports that said that he was 100% healthy. And remember, he had a very serious injury. Uh, so I'm going to say that it is a hot take. And I think that your timeline could be accurate. I think that there is a chance of that. I still don't know if that is the case. And if seeing Joe Burrow week one was any indication, you know that this is going to be very tough on NFL quarterbacks in their first season. 
So uh, maybe week eight, maybe week six. I mean, it's it's possible, but week four, I think, is too soon. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, if he's shown anything to us over the course of his career, he is the best when the chips are down. So my guess is that he'll rebound and buy himself a few more weeks. And uh, and I and I do think this is a hot take. I don't I don't think week four is the time. And I think Miami's going to win a game before week four. They didn't do that last year. So let's let's not forget that. Okay, Baltimore's running back situation got a little bit murky over the weekend where neither J.K. Dobbins or Mark Ingram looked very good, but Dobbins was the goal line guy. So is it a hot take, Joe, to say that Dobbins is the running back to own on the Ravens right now? Oh, this is a tough one, Craig. I don't even know yet. I don't think we have an answer for this one. I will say this. I don't think it's a hot take in standard leagues to think that J.K. Dobbins is that guy. And after the two touchdowns, in some PPR formats, if you have them on your bench, maybe you want to shop them around this week, kind of see what's out there, what you could get, because some people like to go a little crazy week one and see what happens. He did look good in those carries. There's no doubt about that. I find it hard to believe that Mark Ingram is going to disappear into nothing. Uh, this past week was not a very competitive game, so maybe that's why you also saw Dobbins get some more opportunities because it wasn't like the game was on the line very much, right? I and mean, this was a pretty handy victory uh, for the Ravens. So I think in closer games, you might see Mark Ingram a little bit more. It was good to get the rookie some work. So I'm going to say this is a hot take with the exception of standard leagues with that one caveat. But uh, I, I don't think Marvin, uh, Mark Ingram is going to disappear right now. What do you think? Yeah, I, I I totally agree, and I think that the game flow with them with it being a blowout was the real indication as to why Dobbins ended up getting the majority of those touchdowns. In a close game, Mark Ingram is going to be the guy on the field, and it would have looked a little bit different had Dobbins only had one touchdown. We would just be saying, oh, he had a nice game. We wouldn't be looking at it as if he's the running back to own. So, so yes, this is a hot take. Uh, I, I don't like the way that Ingram looked, and I also understand that eventually they're going to pivot to Dobbins for the future. I don't know if it'll be this year or next. I have basically stated that I'm not a huge Dobbins fan in terms of the way that he runs. There are other running backs that I liked more in the draft, one of, the, one of which was Swift, who cost me this weekend, hit, having the ball hit in his face, can't even catch the ball. That's a story for another day. Uh, either way, I'm going to say hot take on Dobbins, and, uh, and Ingram is still, still upset about that one. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the wide receiver position, and let's move on to the Cleveland Browns. And who would have thought at this stage of Odell Beckham Jr.'s career, just a year ago, we were talking about him having a huge breakout season. Now we're talking about not even starting him in some fantasy leagues. I mean, this is really where it is at. It is. It has been hard to start this guy, not even as a wide receiver, one, two, or three. Hard to start him in fantasy. And so uh, hot take here, Joe, is that he's no longer a wide receiver one. I would tell you, I would throw in wide receiver two. Honestly, Ooh, wow. I guess we know where you stand. I'm going to say it's a hot take is uh, not a hot take. I, I don't think he is a wide receiver one. I, I, I don't think he is. Uh, and it's more because I think that group is very good. You have that top tier, obviously, with the Adams and Julio and Hopkins and, and you know, that tier of guys. But if Juju and Amari Cooper and some of those guys in that next grouping and Calvin Ridley play up to their expectations that I have for them this year, they are all far better weekly plays than Odell Beckham. I mean, the concentration level wasn't there this week. Uh, I don't know if he's going to rebound going forward, but he was on that fringe for me anyway. He was right between one and two going into this year, and that was more based on RPV liking his three-year average than it was liking what we saw last year. Uh, but at the same time, I got zero shares of Odell Beckham, so I'm very lucky I don't have to be having this conversation with myself. But I don't think he's a wide receiver one anymore, and clearly you don't either. <laughs> No, uh, no, I don't. I don't think he's a wide receiver, too. 
I mean, what has he shown the last year and a half? No, you're not wrong. I know talent wise he is, but but in this offense too, I don't let. I want to get a better gauge of them this week. They're going to face Cincinnati on Thursday night in the short week this week. If I but haven't we been saying so. that for a year about Beckham? A year. You're right. You're right. You're right. But this is a I, much I, better. If match I had to rewind our shows to last year Baltimore. when we did our shows on radio, you would you would have said the same exact thing. I want to wait till the next week. I mean, we've got to stop waiting. It's done. You're, hey, look, that's why do you think I got zero shares, baby? Zero shares of Odell because I'm tired of his antics. I'm tired of the nonsense. Like, you know, you, you got to put more work in, man. And it's just, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> I just, I can't do it. Can't do it. Won't do it. Can't do it. All right, let's move on to the Indianapolis Colts <laughs> and their running back situation. Poor Marlon Mack. He's out for the year. Probably be on a new team next year. I'm a big fan of Mack. I'm disappointed that this happened for him. Uh, but on Hot Take Tuesday, we got the injury making Jonathan Taylor the best fantasy back for the Indianapolis Colts. And uh, look, Taylor is the guy they drafted. Joe, I mean, this is probably not a hot take at all. You know, like, I mean, Hines, is he like the main guy there? <laughs> I don't know. I- I'm... I would agree with this. <laughs> I I probably agree with it too. I don't think it's a hot take. However, I don't think Naheem Hines is going away either. Um, it's just too much of what Philip Rivers likes to do, and he is certainly a better version of that Woodhead Sproles type thing. Like he could seriously do that. He there's a chance on a weekly basis in PPR leagues, depending on how this shakes out that Hines might be comparable in terms of fantasy points just because he might have not have the touchdown upside necessarily, but he may have enough catches to make up for that, especially now that Marlon Mack is out of the equation. So it's not like I'm running around screaming about, okay, this is it now. Jonathan Taylor is going to run away with things because I do still think at least these first few weeks there's going to be a learning curve. And you look at the schedule, some of these game scripts might not be in that favor of the Jonathan Taylor back. But at the same time, it's hard not to think that Taylor is the guy going forward. So it's it's not a hot take to say this. Yeah, it's it's by default, I, I think. And yes, you know, I, I'm not I'm not a huge Taylor guy, but simply put, he's got a great opportunity in front of him. Okay, finally, let's move over to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Leonard Fournette, who was signed by them a little bit over uh, a week and a half, two weeks ago. Uh, the hot take, Joe Leonard Fournette, no longer a starting option in fantasy football. I'm going to say that's a hot take because he's got a game against Carolina, and I do not like that Carolina defense. And I don't think that the the Tampa Bay Bucks can look at their week one game film and say, mm, things really went our way. What can we do? Ronald Jones had some moments there. Leonard Fournette was not good. But look, this is another week into the offense, another week into the playbook. Let's see what he is against Carolina before we throw this take out there. I, I don't want to throw this take out there quite yet. It's certainly getting closer to being uh, truth. But right now, I think it's hot. This is this is tough for me because again, Ronald Jones could get hurt and something could change. The Bucks could play poor this year and just basically wipe everyone out and decide to start playing other guys. So I can't say that this is a, a hot take or not yet. This would be one that I'm on the fence on. But I would tell you that if you drafted Fournette in the first six or seven rounds of your draft, and after this week, he only gets five or six carries. You got to be really worried at that point. I mean, Absolutely. at that point, we could revisit this next week and say he is no longer a starting option because the fantasy football season is 13 weeks. It's not 17. So if you get nothing out of your guy the first three weeks or four weeks of the season and your record isn't good and he's your RB2, it's a failure. But I'll wait till next week on this one. We'll revisit it. 
We'll be right back with more here on Sports Grid. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back, Fantasy Sports. Today with you here on SportsGrid, I am Craig Mish, along with Joe Pizzapia. This is the first hour of our show, and it's already in the books. We have uh, come and gone here for an hour, but don't worry. we got a full hour to go here in hour number two as we break down some of the NBA games and look forward to action on the field and on the diamond everywhere in sports on this Tuesday, September the 15th. But, Joe, uh, one team is going to come away very sour after the weekend. In fact, there are a couple of games interesting mm-hmm. this weekend. I think uh, I saw a couple on the schedule that someone's going to be 0-2 and, and not be happy. Uh, but one of them this weekend is going to be Dallas and Atlanta. And certainly the expectations unreasonably high always for Dallas. Nine and a half win total. Favorites on the road in the first game. Just shows you what people love to do. They love to bet the Cowboys no matter what. Idiots <laughs> like me. And, uh, and Atlanta... Atlanta, truthfully, um, you know, looked like the worst team in the NFL through the first eight games of last season. So, you know, Dallas clearly will be a significant favorite. They are at home. And one of the teams is going to go 0-2. And, look, I could see Atlanta covering, and and, and we'll get into that later in the Mm -hmm. week. But I I can't see Dallas losing outright. Can't see it. No, I I can't either. And I I think it's mostly because – uh, I can't see the Falcons stopping Ezekiel Elliott. They struggle mightily tack- tackling, and they struggle mightily in terms of uh, uh, running backs who can catch the ball out of the backfield, and Ezekiel Elliott has certainly proven that. I think they've got a lot of weapons, and although Atlanta might be able to keep it closer because of the weapons they have, this is going to be, I think, uh, a no-one-two start for them. And I think the other game you're thinking of is probably the Minnesota Vikings and the Colts because somebody's going to be owing yeah. to after that one too. Yeah. That would be my guess is the one on your brain. And if I'm going to lean, I'm going to lean towards the Vikings getting right and uh, basically the coordinators kicking that defense's butt all week in practice because that was a shameful display at home against the Green Bay Packers. I don't think that's going to happen two weeks in a row. And if Phil Rivers is as accident-prone, as stake-prone as he was in that first game, I think it's going to be a long day at the office for him to do. But, yeah, it's going to be some 0-2 teams headed into week three, baby. That's for sure. Yeah, no, and I, and I think that's a, a fun part of uh, of the NFL. And, you know, certainly go, going 0-2 doesn't end you, but it's not a great start for sure. Dallas, by the way, minus seven against Atlanta coming up this weekend. So you're paying that Dallas tax. I mean, Dallas could be 0-5, and, and they're still going to be 10-point favorite. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for hour one. we got hour two coming up. Stay on the grid. More fantasy sports today is next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 